All right, it is the week nine edition of the Ari Marov NFL Show. And joining me now, he is our NFL reporter here at PFF, a colleague, a friend. It is Doug Kai. Doug, I hope you had a chance to take just a deep breath after the last week we just had in the NFL. How are you? I'm doing well, yeah. Things have slowed down quite a bit uh, today. It's like you go from like 100 miles per hour and then come to a, a screeching halt basically on, on all of the NFL news. So, uh, yeah, I was able to get a little bit more sleep last night than the night before, and that was uh, good to catch up a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was the um, wildest stretch of um, an NFL trade deadline in NFL history. I mean, it used to be a non-story. I mean, I remember, I don't know what it was, 2016, 2017, we had like one trade or two trades. I think it was Mark Barron was traded from like the Bucks to the Rams all the way around, and that was like big news back then. And now here we are in 2022, and these GMs, are far more aggressive, and it felt like free agency week. That's what it felt like mm-hmm. on Tuesday with all those trades that went down. So I want to go through a lot of these trades that went down because they were in the minor trade. There were a lot of big-time names and some surprises as well. And the first one that I want to get to is a player that isn't even going to play this year. I mean, I want to start with this one. I want to start with Calvin Ridley because this was the one that really shocked me out of everything. Jacksonville gives up a 2023 fifth-round pick, And then a 2024 fourth round pick that becomes a third um, based off some stats. And a second, if he signs an extension in Jacksonville, which is very possible because he's in the final year of his contract. Um, I guess let me just ask you, what did you think of this trade when it came down? Because I think everyone was floored for a second. And now that you had a chance to, you know, look at it after a day, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think it was really uh, creative with the way that they put the conditions in there for Calvin Ridley because, I mean, if he's not on the the Jaguars roster, if he's not reinstated, then I think the risk becomes even lower for the Jaguars in this trade. So I think it was smart for them to do it when they did because I was asking people around the NFL and, you know, most people said that there wasn't really a market for Calvin Ridley, that no one was really necessarily competing with the Jaguars at this time for Calvin Ridley, which makes sense because most teams are making trades at the deadline are trying to compete. Now the Jaguars saw Calvin Ridley out there probably figured they probably wasn't going to be playing for the Falcons next year. Anyway, that he was going to wind up getting traded. So why not get out ahead of things? And I think that the way that it was structured does limit the risk uh, for the Jaguars and the fact that, you know, at the very most, they'll only have to give up a second round pick plus, And that's if Calvin Ridley signs an extension with the Jaguars, which is clearly a best case scenario for Jacksonville. Um, it, it was it was so out there and so bizarre that I think it did take, you know, a few hours, maybe even overnight to fully process everything that happened there to, to fully kind of grasp what the Jaguars were able to do. Yeah, Atlanta had talks about trading him last offseason before they knew about the gambling thing. I think Philadelphia was talking to them, and then eventually Terry Fontenot, their GM, was like, we're not taking calls right now. You'll find out why later on. And then eventually we all found out exactly what happened. It's amazing to me that the team that he bet on last year was the Jaguars, and now he's on the Jaguars. Calvin Ridley also, he's 28 years old. He he was an old rookie, so he'll be 28 next year at this time, which I think is noteworthy. Doug Peterson was asked about this today. Why would you make this trade now? Why not wait until the offseason when he becomes um, reinstated? And this is what he had to say. Well, I mean, you know, you're you're um, you're 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 betting on the future, right? You're you're putting resources out there to get a to get a, a top receiver caliber type player in this league, and and you know, obviously, 
again, it goes back to whenever he's reinstated, the second we can get him in here, it'll be no different than when we got, you know, Zay and Christian and all those guys. Um, the betting on the future is, um, I don't know if that was meant to be like that, but um, we're betting on the future was um, interesting choice of words there from Doug Peter- Peterson. But um, Atlanta has now flipped Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley into a second, a third, a fifth, and possibly another second, or at worst, a fourth round pick with Calvin Ridley. I feel like Atlanta, you know, they're in first place right now. They're getting Cordell Patterson back. I feel like the situation they walked into and where they are right now I don't think this regime could have done a better job than what they've done up until this point. Yeah, no, I agree with that, especially the fact that, you know, Matt Ryan got benched by the Indianapolis Colts. Julio Jones clearly has not looked like the same type of player. We'll see what happens with Calvin Ridley. But like you said, I mean, they, they were there were trade discussions even before the news broke that, uh, he, you know, that he bet on football and was going to be suspended. So I don't think that he was necessarily going to be long for the Falcons anyway. So this does really look like, a win-win. I talked about it from the Jaguars side that I think it's it's a smart thing um, using that choice of words again to, to bet on the future uh, and and you know say at the at the very most they'll have to give up a second round pick and for the Falcons you know who knows what they would have got this offseason who knows what happens with this situation in the future at least they know the baseline of what they can get. Uh, for Calvin Ridley at this point and they've already filled in those pass catching spots. Um, you know, with Drake London, with Kyle Pitts, you can argue about how those guys are being used, but at least, you know, you're not saying, okay, well, what are we going to do at wide receiver? Who's going to catch passes now that Calvin Ridley's not here? Some of those names, at least, are already on the roster. Yeah, but you look at some of these other young quarterbacks around the NFL where they get that big-time wide receiver, whether it was Stephon Diggs for Josh Allen and all these other guys who, you know, Jacksonville, I think, is hoping that Calvin Ridley could become that guy for Trevor Lawrence come next year. People forget he was a second team all pro just a couple of years ago. And remember last training camp, there was this viral video of him burning um, Xavier Howard at training camp. I don't remember that, but like the guy has a lot of talent and um, hopefully we'll be back on the field come next year. Next one, TJ Hawkinson to Minnesota. This is another one that, that stunned me and Detroit sending him in a fourth round pick and another fourth round pick that could be a fifth round pick for a second round pick and a third round pick. So a lot of juggling of picks here in those um, day two of the draft. Lions now have two ones and two twos next year. This is the one trade from yesterday that I've struggled to find what angle Detroit is trying to take here. Like I get the Ridley trade. We'll talk about Claypool soon, but I understand a little bit where the Bears are coming from. I don't fully understand where Detroit is coming from here, especially doing an in-division trade for a 25-year-old tight end who still has one more year after this left on this contract. What do you see over here? Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people around the NFL are saying as well, that this was one of the most surprising trades because they view TJ Hawkinson as a good player. I don't think that TJ Hawkinson has quite yet reached the the hype levels that he had coming out of Iowa when he was a top 10 pick. But, you know, he's been a, a top 10 tight end for us at PFF over the last few years. And I think that at that tight end position – you can still continue to improve when you're 26, 27 years old. We certainly saw that with with Travis Kelsey, some of the other top tight ends around the NFL. So I'm not sure if TJ Hawkinson's necessarily 
at his peak at this point. One thing that really stunned me was that Lions GM uh, Brad Holmes told some of the local reporters, I know that Kyle Meinke and Dave Burkett both were tweeting about this. He said that they would have traded TJ Hawkinson even if they were 6-1 and one at this point, and right now they're 1-6. and six. I think that that tells you what the new regime probably thinks of TJ Hawkinson, that maybe they think slightly lower of him than what people around the NFL do. For me, I think that this is a great deal for the Minnesota Vikings, not only in the short term, but also in the long term, because they just lost Irv Smith. They pretty desperately needed a tight end because they had Johnny Munt on their roster. They had Jacob Hollister. They had an undrafted free agent. They needed someone to give them a tight end. It comes in division. And I, I mean, it doesn't even seem like there was necessarily like a NFC North tax put on this trade either, because I think it's a pretty decent value for the Vikings to bring in a guy who's already one of the best tight ends in the NFL or one of the better tight ends in the NFL, who's got a year and a half left on his deal and can become better. I felt like, like somebody mentioned this to me, if it was a second for Hawkinson straight up, I get it. But when you're flipping all those other picks as well, it's basically an early third, late second when you put it all together on most of those draft charts that teams use. And you mentioned what Brad Holmes said today. Dan Campbell also spoke about it today, and I put this clip in here as well. Let's hear what he had to say about the trade. Yeah, look, I, I honestly, I look at it for it's an opportunity for other guys. And, and as good as TJ was, there's things that we'll be able to do better, potentially, um, having other guys on the field. I mean, that's there is always some of that give and take, no matter what players out there. I'm not answering that. Because I'd be giving away a game plan. All right. Um, other guys on the field could do better than some things that TJ Hawkinson was doing. I was looking at some of the grading that we have for TJ Hawkinson. His run blocking grade under 50 the last two years. Maybe that's part of it. Pass blocking has been so-so. I guess they want someone who could block more than receive. I mean, like, it's just so odd to do that now, do it with a division rival, and do it when he still has a year and a half left on his contract. I'm curious to see what Detroit has up their sleeves come this offseason when they do have those two ones and two twos, and if it's part of a bigger plan than what we're looking at it right now where everyone is a bit confused with the angle they're taking here. As for Minnesota, you kind of said it all. I love where they are right now. I really believe they might be the least talked about good team right now in the NFL, being at 6-1. and one. I mean, they were 5-1 and one coming into this week, almost lost it to Arizona, came away with a victory. They're 6-1 and one now, have a three-plus game lead over Green Bay and Chicago in that NFC North. Next trade I want to talk about here is Bradley Chubb. This was one that I think everyone knew. They had a one on the table. People were thinking, was it the Rams? Is it somebody else? I know Peter King reported that the Dolphins were in on this, and it ends up being the Dolphins giving up a one, which came from the Trey Lance trade, a 20-24-4, and then running back Chase Edmonds as well for Chubb and a 20-25 fifth-round pick. What did you think of this, I guess, aggressive move by this Miami team, which has definitely done pretty well so far this year with Tua as their quarterback? Yeah, I think it just shows that they're going all in at this point. And I think that the bigger question then at hand is, are they, after this trade, good enough to compete with the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs? And that's something that I guess that we'll find out over the second half of the season. I think that this gets them closer to being you know, on the same level as the Bills and Chiefs. I think that they're probably still a slight step behind. But if there's injuries to either one of those teams, then maybe Miami could ascend to that level. One thing is that the Dolphins have invested 
a ton of resources now into that, you know, edge defender position. They gave Emmanuel Ogba a big deal this offseason. They used a first-round pick on Jalen Phillips uh, last year. Now they're giving up a first-round pick, and they're going to eventually have to give big money to Bradley Chubb. They've already got Melvin Ingram. They've already got Trey Flowers. So I know that Bradley Chubb is a good player. He's not an elite player, but once again, kind of similar to TJ Hawkinson. Hasn't quite lived up to the hype of where he was drafted fifth overall. But I do wonder how much he specifically – will be an upgrade over the guys that have already been in that spot and how much that rotation will actually help that, you know, that defense overall, the pass rush productivity, everything on Miami this season. This was the best year Bradley Chubb has had so far in his career, health-wise and play-wise. I believe his pass rush grade is, is right under 80, which is the best mark of his career, if I'm not mistaken. And Miami gives up a first-round pick for him as they try to bolster up that defense for that push there in the AFC for Denver, you know, their GM George Payton has made a bunch of, in my opinion, brilliant moves. Right. But the reality is all of it kind of means nothing. If Russell Wilson doesn't work out in the contract they gave him, which for now has been a bit shaky. We'll see how it goes moving forward, but they have a loaded outside linebacker room. They were not going to pay Chubb who will likely demand 20, 25 million per year, hundred million dollar contract. And now they get a one for a player who was going to be a free agent in a few months. So I love what they did over there, especially in the situation where they're three and five right now and they're getting Randy Gregory back. But just, I know I'm kind of thinking about this, like Miami definitely now is all in with two, right? They, they came into the offseason with two first round picks, lost one for tampering, lost another one here for Bradley Chubb. It's a bit off topic and a bit, um, a bit of a different angle, but do you feel like Tua, if he keeps on doing this this year, could go to the negotiating table come this offseason and kind of force Miami's hands, knowing they don't have a first-round pick anymore, and knowing that he's coming off probably the best year of his career, kind of do what Kyler Murray just did to the Cardinals this offseason. I could certainly see it. I mean, I I was talking to someone earlier in the season just about all the quarterback contracts that are coming up and you know what's going on with Lamar Jackson, um, what's going to be coming up for Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, and that person actually threw Tua Tagovailoa's name in the mix as well as someone who could sign a contract that you know meets or exceeds those marks that we're already seeing of 40, 45, 50 million dollars a year. And after the season, and like you said, after giving up a first round pick for Bradley Chubb, you can't draft a quarterback. The only other option that the Dolphins would have this offseason really to get as good or better of a quarterback, whatever you might think is signing Tom Brady. And then at that point, they would have to play, you know, the one or two years of Tom Brady and then plan for the future with a draft pick at some point after, you know, whatever happens if Tom Brady became their quarterback. So that's the only other side of the negotiating table that the Dolphins really come at uh, Tua with. And we have no idea what Tom Brady's future holds at all at this point, whether he wants to continue playing but he wants to still be a buck where he would go this off season. So it's not a great chip for, for the Miami Dolphins to have. I know that there's other free agent quarterbacks, but none of those guys are playing at the same level as Tua right now. Cause that, that, that really is where my mind went to as soon as they gave up the one where 
at least you still had that insurance just in case you weren't ready to pay Tua yet. Now you don't have that anymore. And again, Tua has has been much better this year. Obviously, getting him all those pieces has worked out phenomenally, and Mike McDaniel has fully bought into him. But I do wonder if his agents at least go into this offseason and say, you know what, you're coming off a career year. Let's get you paid right now, similar to how Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray just did to Arizona. I think that's definitely a storyline to keep an eye on this offseason. I never really took it seriously until now, where I guess he could put some pressure there on the Dolphins. All right, let's go back to the trade topics here. The Chicago Bears made a few moves, and I guess we have to bunch it all together. Let me start off with the, the Chase Claypool one, which they're sending their own second-round pick, which I guess should be in that 40 range probably, not Baltimore's, which they got from the Roquan Smith trade. And it sounds like Green Bay was offering a second-round pick as well, which forced Chicago to give up their own second-round pick. Right. Once you combine this, this move, the Roquan Smith move, um, your thoughts on how the Bears approached all of this? Because as I mentioned before, I guess there is an angle to understanding what they're trying to do over here. Yeah, I think that if you combine the Roquan Smith trade, if you combine the Robert Quinn trade and the Chase Claypool trade, I think it all comes out positively for the Bears because you know Robert Quinn getting up there in age, uh, Roquan Smith probably wasn't going to be a Bear next year. They acquire a young player in Chase Claypool, and essentially what they did is they moved down, you know half a draft essentially in the second round picked up some scattered other draft picks uh, to kind of flip all those players around. And I think that that is probably the best way to look at this. And that's the way that it shakes out best for the Chicago bears. If you look at the chase Claypool trade in a vacuum, I think they probably did have to give up too much uh, to get them. But at the same time, they were keeping away from the green Bay Packers who, um, you know, I think that he would have been a, a dangerous weapon as well for the Packers. And I think that the Robert Quinn trade and the Roquan Smith trades were both smart moves. So overall, they come out ahead. As far as Chase Claypool in a vacuum, I just, I don't know. I'm The fact that the Steelers were able to use, what was it, the 52nd overall pick on Claypool in 2020, and two and a half years later, trade him for an even better second round pick, that's a great value for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a player that they really weren't using that much. Uh, I know that Josina Anderson of CBS uh, floated out there that, you know, he had kind of become a distraction in the locker room. And you can see that with three top tier wide or, you know, three good wide receivers with Claypool, Dante Johnson and George Pickens, plus tight end Pat Firemuth, plus running back Najee Harris. There's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. And Kenny Pickett is a rookie quarterback. Can't spread the ball around to all of them, uh, given what that offense looks like right now. So I, I mean, I don't think it's really much of a net negative for that Steelers offense to even lose a chase Claypool because the ball will just be spread around to those other good players and they wind up getting a really good pick for them. The Steelers have to trade their wide receiver three for a pick in the 40 range, which is obviously fascinating. I think the way Chicago is looking at this is they obviously will have a lot of cap space come this offseason. They need a wide receiver next to Darnell Mooney, but you look at the free agent wide receiver, I jotted down over here. Jacoby Myers, Juju Smith-Schuster, Marvin Jones, Alan Lazar, Darius Slayton, DJ Chark, Jarvis Landry, Nelson Aguilar. Who are you paying from that group to be the guy? And I guess they look at Chase Claypool as, you know, we'll give up a second-round pick, eventually pay him to be the guy, and let's get him into the offense right now. Also, the draft class is not considered that special compared to what it was the last couple of years. But the thing that somebody mentioned to me yesterday while I was talking to a personnel guy about you know this trade in particular was last offseason nobody saw 
those wide receiver trades that we got, right? We didn't right. see Tyreek Hill coming or Devontae Adams coming or Amari Cooper coming. So that could definitely happen in the offseason as well, which I'm sure maybe the Bears looked into and see where could it be a disgruntled wide receiver, but you never know where that could come from. So that would be the argument when it comes to looking at it from this picture. But um, you know what? Listen, they had two second-round picks. As you mentioned, they moved on from Roquan right. Smith. They get a wide receiver who will see how he can do in this offseason with a fresh fresh start with a new quarterback. So I'm fascinated about that angle. The Baltimore angle is also very interesting because um, with Roquan Smith because he has a half a year left on his contract. And you would assume, okay, fine, they lose the franchise tag on him. But then Lamar Jackson needs that franchise tag. So are they looking at this as a rental and we'll get a compensatory third round pick once he leaves? Could that be the scenario they're looking at over here? I think it's at least good insurance for this situation. If they can't sign him to a long-term deal, if they can't figure out something uh, with Lamar Jackson and then, you know, give a Roquan Smith, there's options in play here where even if they can't use the franchise tag on him, even if they can't sign him to a long-term deal, then yeah, you let him walk in free agency. You've rented him for a second round pick and then, in an ideal scenario, wind up getting back a, a third round pick for him. Obviously, that's not guaranteed, though, because who knows where the Ravens are at um, in free agency. They could cancel that out with another big signing. I think that you have to be hoping, if you're the Ravens, that you can reach a long-term deal with Roquan Smith. And I suppose over the next you know, eight, nine games, whatever it is, plus the playoffs, they will figure out if he is worth that to the organization. Um, and I do think that there's some questions about that. I think that Roquan Smith is a very good player, uh, but he's been a little bit inconsistent so far throughout his career. So I think it's it'll be good for them to see what he looks like in their defense before they actually have to commit to giving him that long-term contract. Yeah, Roquan actually hasn't really graded that well over at PFF. And I guess part of it is it's a bit difficult to be a linebacker, right. coverage linebacker, especially nowadays with the way um, teams are using their receivers and tight ends. But it is fascinating to me that the Ravens now have two players who don't have agents who are in the final year of their contract right. and they're dealing with both of them coming up this offseason. But the Ravens are the one team who do take the competitive formula pretty seriously. Mm-hmm. We've seen them do that in the past with Matthew Judon and other players. So that could be an avenue they're looking at. Okay, let's get into some um, – Minor trades, I guess. Naeem Hines goes from Indianapolis to Buffalo for a six that could become a five and running back Zach Moss. What do you think of this trade? I actually liked it for Buffalo because a running back, a guy who could catch as well, and a guy who could do punt returns, which is something they've been missing. Um, let me ask you, what do you think about that trade for the super hot Buffalo Bills? Uh, I loved it. I, I thought that, you know, a team would have to give up more than that for Naheem Hines and, you know, a, a sixth that can become a fifth. And then Zach Moss is really just kind of a throw in. He, he's a useful player for the Colts because of the injuries that Jonathan Taylor has had. And he can be that, that early down back backup. Um, and I think the fact that Deion Jackson showed the Colts what he could do when Naheem Hines was out probably precipitated this trade a little bit as well. The fact that he was able to catch 10 passes for 79 yards, whatever the stat line was in week six. Um, I think that they saw like, all right, I mean, we could use him as our pass catching back. We get back a player that we might need a little bit more right now in Zach Moss. And then we pick up a, a sixth or fifth round pick. That's a justification from the Colts. They're probably not going to be very competitive anyway. I think that that was one of the elements in play here too, is that, I don't want to say they've given up on the season, but I think that they are playing for the future right now, more so with Sam Ellinger. Um, but no, I did like the, the trade more for the Bills because they really didn't have to give up almost anything. They get a player who has been the second highest graded receiving running back over the last three years here at PFF, right behind Christian McCaffrey. 
Um, and I don't know, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see how all those snaps are divvied out at running back because I think that James Cook has kind of come on. Obviously, Devin Singletary has been playing pretty well, uh, but it really could be kind of a three-headed monster there for the Bills. And one thing with James Cook is that everyone expected him to come in and be that pass-catching back right away, and that hasn't necessarily been the case. He's been actually running the ball significantly more than he's been catching the ball, and that's not that surprising for a young running back because one of the biggest challenges of playing running back in the NFL is picking up blitzes, you know, being that that pass protector for your quarterback. So maybe we start to see Singletary and Cook share more of the early down role, and then you see Naheem Hines really come on strong on third down. Yeah, I mean, I did find it interesting today that head coach Frank Reich was asked if Naheem Hines asked for a trade and declined to give an answer, which I think tells me that he wanted out of Indy, and they were essentially – this was the offer to take and move on. I, I do agree. A six that could become a fifth for a player of his caliber is a little bit low. Uh, yeah. Buffalo does get a pretty decent player here for the playoffs um, run that they are going to be going on there um, in Buffalo. The next running back that was traded was Jeff Wilson. And Miami gives up a five, a flat five for Wilson, yeah. who reunites with Mike McDaniel and Raheem Mostert. Uh, McDaniel, of course, was the run game coordinator there in San Francisco, and Kyle Shanahan gave him a lot of credit for what they were able to do in the run game. I do like the destination. I'm not sure about giving up a five for somebody who San Francisco clearly did not need anymore. Yeah, I mean, San Francisco clearly wanted to upgrade over Jeff Wilson. That's why they made the Christian McCaffrey trade. They're, they're getting Elijah Mitchell back, um, you know, drafted Terrion Davis-Price. So, yeah, I was pretty surprised that Jeff Wilson went for a fifth. I was thinking more, you know, sixth at the highest, maybe a late-round swap. Um, I I do like that kind of, you know, that those two trades that worked in concert for the Dolphins, strictly from an on-field perspective of you get rid of Chase Edmonds, who's not working in your offense. You bring in Jeff Wilson, who you know can work in your offense because he did it for years with Mike McDaniel with the 49ers and continued to do it this year. I don't think that Jeff Wilson is like a high-end running back by any means. And I think that there was better players that probably could have been had for somewhat similar compensation out there at the same time. Like I said, they know what they have in Jeff Wilson. But one thing that I was talking to people about um, at, you know, after the trade deadline is that people were surprised that running backs have gone up in value trade-wise uh, this offseason. Certainly we saw it with Christian McCaffrey, um, Chase Edmonds was part of a trade, Naheem Hines, Jeff Wilson, and he said that that was, you know, seemed like kind of a kickback to the running backs don't matter storyline. I said like, yeah, I mean, I guess we're seeing that even with the Rams where they're having a hard time finding a running back who fits their system. And and he came back with, might make more sense to evaluate the blocking first, which I think is very fair. Might not want to give up the fifth round pick for a running back. Might want to bring in some better offensive linemen uh, before he start making moves at running back. So yeah, just curious to see that running backs did hold some value at the trade deadline this year. And that a player like Jeff Wilson was traded, but Cam Akers wasn't and Kareem Hunt wasn't. And some of these other guys were, were not moved. Yeah, it, it was fascinating to me. Fascinating to me to see all these running backs getting moved for, like real draft picks, not like right. those, those fake swaps that we've seen in previous years. I did see a report today that the Rams declined offers for Cam Akers. I'm not sure 
if I should believe that or not. But um, apparently he's trying to get it fixed over there. Apparently they're trying to get it fixed over there and try to bring him back. Um, clearly something went wrong when it came to him and Sean McVay, and they're trying to repair that now and the trade deadline is over. The last thing I want to talk about that did happen is um, William Jackson going from Washington to Pittsburgh. And the Steelers, you know, they're sort of – not really out of contention, but sort of they are. But the, they loved William Jackson in the draft. And Cincinnati jumped in front of them at 24 to take him. Steelers had to settle with Artie Burns at 25. That one did not work out. Jackson's defensive coordinator in Cincinnati was Terrell Austin. He's the defensive coordinator now in Pittsburgh. I kind of like this trade. I mean, like, you know, they were probably going to release him, but you're not really giving up much. I know they have one more year left on his contract, which I'm sure they're going to adjust that come the offseason. Overall, I mean, it's a pretty decent deal for Pittsburgh to get this guy for a year and a half, most likely. Yeah, to get him for a pick swap, um, it's going to cost them, what is it, like $3 million this year, somewhere around there um, for the for the 2022 season, which is kind of a hefty price to pay when, like you said, they are likely out of any playoff contention at this point. Um, but I guess the impetus now is on them to figure that out for next season is to lower that cap it because he's currently set to make $12.75 million. I don't think that you can give him that amount when he was just traded for a pick swap. So maybe that influences his decision to maybe lower that cap hit. Uh, I think that he said that he wanted to go to the Steelers. Um, it's an interesting fit from him from a defensive scheme standpoint, but certainly notable that, as you mentioned, Terrell Austin is the defensive coordinator there and the Steelers, needed cornerback help this season. They've had a lot of injuries there. Uh, haven't seen the best play out of those players. Uh, if I was William Jackson, I probably would have hoped to go back to the Bengals or go to a team that desperately needed cornerback help that was more in playoff contention. Um, but like I said, maybe the fact that he wanted to go there will help them keep him long-term for the future. I do think that, you know, if they had, if they had waited for, for the commanders to waive William Jackson, I do feel like there was probably a pretty good chance that they could have let him go through waivers, then sign him. But if they work out something long-term, then it makes it worth it anyway. The comparison that I was given for this one was, um, if you remember when Carlos Dunlap was traded from the Bengals to the Seahawks, he mm. also had two years left on his deal. They took on the rest of the contract, and they released him in the offseason and then re-signed him again when they redid that final year of the contract. So maybe that could be a possibility here with William Jackson in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. The last trade I want to talk about, um, I mentioned William Jackson was last one. This is actually last one. There is Tony from last week. I didn't get, I didn't get a chance to talk about this um, on last week's episode because it happened after we finished recording. Kadarius Tony, he goes from the Giants to the Chiefs for a third-round pick. And it's such a weird situation because – he was injured with hamstring injury, both hamstrings. All of a sudden now, he's fully healthy. I guess, what did you think of this trade? Because I'm just envisioning him in the Chiefs offense, and I feel like the possibilities could be endless. Oh, yeah. I mean, I already – people around the league were already comparing him to Tyree Kill to me. I know that he's not going to be, you know, 1,500-yard Tyree Kill or anything like that, but he's a player who can line up in the slot and make guys miss with the best of them. He's one of the best, you know – forced missed tackles wide receivers out there because of his combination of speed and agility. I think there's still a possibility that he could add a deep game uh, to his arsenal as well. But I think that mostly you'll see him being that slot guy who can make people miss. And quite honestly, I mean, after yesterday, this trade looks even better. The fact that the Steelers were able to get a high second round pick for Chase Claypool. I know that Chase Claypool has done more up to this point in the NFL 
but his best season was in 2020 as a rookie. The Giants, obviously under Dave Gettleman, drafted Kadarius Tony in the first round last year and now can only get a third round pick back for him. At the same time, this is another one of those kind of win-win moves for me because the Giants weren't using Kadarius Tony anyway, dealing with a hamstring injury. They're, they're winning without him. And they essentially got a free third round pick for a player that they didn't draft that they probably didn't think was the best fit anyway. Um, I think this will probably wind up working out better for the chiefs than it will for the giants. Uh, but I certainly can't hate on the giants for, for trading him for whatever they could get at this point. Yeah, the giants traded down to get Kadarius Tony, Michael Parsons on the board at the time, whatever, but um, they ended up trading down. They do get an extra first round pick turns out to be Evan Neal. I guess that's one way to look at it, but um, they do move on from Kateria Stoney, somebody who this regime did not draft and he clearly was not playing, even though apparently he was healthy. And it sounds like he will possibly play on Sunday night against the Titans. Um, Andy Reid did mention that today, and he said they might have a couple of packages ready for Kadarius Tony come this week. All right, trades that did not happen. Um, let me first start off a team. The Packers doing nothing shocked me. I know they try to get Chase Claypool. I get it, whatever. But doing nothing when they still had all their seven picks come next year, when they just re-signed Aaron Rodgers to this massive contract, when they traded away Devontae Adams and they have not been able to replace him, to sit on their hands and do nothing, I don't know what to say. It, I mean, it doesn't really benefit them to to do poorly this season. Like, you've got a, a limited small window left at this point with Aaron Rodgers, and now is the time to go all in. Like, the, now is the time to be the Rams and say, like, F them picks and, and go all in for whoever you can get at this point. And, you know, maybe Chase Claypool wouldn't have been a, a game wrecker for them, and – I think that the only way that they would have been able to get him is, you know, to make up the difference between where the Packers are supposed to pick and where the Bears are. What would it have been like a second and a fourth, second and a fifth, something like that for Chase Claypool? We probably would have been criticizing it just as much if the Packers had made the deal. But I know they were looking at big bodied wide receivers. I know that they were high on Chase Claypool and they just let another wide receiver slip through the cracks for them. And we saw it last year with Odell Beckham Jr. They weren't willing to pay up for him. They don't land him. That's got to be the hope, though, at this point, is that they can get a wide receiver through other means. Obviously, the best one out there right now is Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, I'm not sure if Odell was interested in the Packers because of it being the Packers or if it was partly to play with Devontae Adams. That's something I think to kind of look into at this point. Um, you know, what the interest level there for him and the Packers would be, certainly still a possibility that they could get him. Outside of that, you're hoping that a team releases a wide receiver. And um, I think I said this on, on PFF Wire yesterday with Brad. This is not something I have any inside info about. I know that I know the Patriots well. This is not something that I've heard from them whatsoever. But, you know, maybe there's a possibility that the Patriots could, you know, wave a guy like Nelson Aguilar or something and hope that someone claims him, takes on the contract, another way to, to get some extra salary uh, space for them, salary cap space for them. But that's really the only alternative to Odell Beckham Jr. at this point is if a team releases a wide receiver if it's the the texans with brandon cooks if it's the patriots with nelson aguilar if it's one of these guys who's making a lot of money uh where or a team feels like they could recoup some of some of their assets and their money uh by releasing him but otherwise yeah it seems like it's odell beckham jr or bust for green bay at this point and it sounds like odell won't even be ready until thanksgiving so even right. getting him up to speed is another thing about it and you mentioned Devontae adams I and mean, the guy who was recruiting obj last year 
it was Aaron and Devontae. Now mm-hmm. half of that is missing. So I don't really know. I mean, it's it's for them just to not do anything, as you mentioned, in the year where they again the chips are in the middle essentially with Aaron. Um, I don't know. I'm shocked. And and the Chase Claypool trade happened while Aaron was doing his Pat McAfee hit yesterday, <laughs> which was just I guess one more way of just you know twisting the knife a little bit more to him. So um, we'll see if anything happens there. But they're in a very um, tough position right now in the NFC. Any other trade that didn't happen that I guess surprised you or you want to mention over here? Uh, I guess slightly surprising that the Browns didn't trade Kareem Hunt because that's been out there for you know months at this point. At the same time, I'm, the Browns looked great against the Bengals on Monday night. Um, they've been able to weather the storm well enough with Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Um, I believe they did say this today um, or, or this week at some point that you know, Deshaun Watson will start right away when he's eligible. So obviously that's big news. No quarterback controversy there, even though Jacoby Brissett has been playing well. But I don't know. I mean, I guess if you do think that you can be competitive, which it looks like they could when Deshaun Watson's back, you might as well keep all your players and even keep Kareem Hunt as, as an injury uh, insurance in case something happens to Nick Chubb or something happens to, to someone else in that offense. So, I don't know, I was slightly surprised about that, uh, but ultimately might be the best move for them to just keep him and see if they can compete this year. Yeah, and then the other one that didn't happen, Brandon Cooks, $18 million fully guaranteed next year. It sounds like that trade was never going to happen with that contract that he has left. Last thing I want to mention, too, I know we're running late, but um, considering how many trades that happened here this week, the NFL trade line was once at week six. Now it's in week eight. Do you feel like the NFL should consider moving this back a little bit more, maybe to like a week 10, when more teams know where they're standing? I like that a lot, actually. I don't think there's really any any need for it to be as early as it is. I don't know, like if it's if they feel like it's a competitive advantage, whatever it would be to have it this early in the season. But yeah, I think that that would make a lot of sense. I'm trying to think of when some of the other sports trade deadlines are, and at least baseball seems like it's a little bit later in the season um, than the NFL trade deadline. Not quite sure about about basketball and hockey. So yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And it, you know, by it being earlier, deadlines you know force action. So I think that it forces teams to make these moves earlier, which is probably good for them. I think that teams should still be making moves around this point in the season and not wait up until the deadline if it is moved back. Uh, but yeah, I would absolutely be on board with them moving the trade deadline back. Yeah, now that's an 18-week season, I feel like we have a right. clear, teams would have a clearer picture of where they are, whether we should buy or sell. They moved it back a week or two, and I think the NFL loved seeing what happened yesterday. Yeah. There's one thing they were missing from other sports. Brainsy is good. The draft is good. The season is amazing. The postseason is great. Super Bowl is awesome. Trade deadline was always missing, and they finally got that yesterday. Moving it back a week or two might create even more action. So I'm curious to know if that actually gets talked about come this offseason. Right, Doug, I want to thank you for coming on here this week to go through all the trades, a wild, wild week that we just had in the NFL. Everyone can follow you on Twitter. It is at Doug Kide. Everyone can check you out during the week on PFF Wire. That is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Even Tuesday sometimes, like yesterday, um, whenever a lot of news comes down, you and Brad Spielberger are all over it. And um, hopefully we could do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ari.